Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the new Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Una Chaplin, and I'm the host of a new podcast called Hollywood Exiles. It tells the story of how my grandfather, Charlie Chaplin, and many others were caught up in a campaign to root out communism in Hollywood. It's a story of glamour and scandal and political intrigue and a battle for the soul of a nation. Hollywood Exiles from CBC Podcasts and the BBC World Service. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com This week on the Euro Trip. We'll be taking a trip to a hotel lobby in the south of France. We'll be discussing who could be representing the UK at the Eurovision Song Contest next year. And we'll be rewinding to 1991. It's time for the Eurotrip. The Eurotrip, when I read that, I was immediately thinking of the movie. Do you know the movie? Hi, I'm Leanne. Hello, Leanne. Uh, Leanne, are you a Eurotrip podcast listener? I am, yes! <laughs> I should say, I met some Eurotrip fans here. I was chatting with people outside the entrance. And they said, oh, are you, are you Bella Fist? And I said, yeah, I know you're from the Eurotrip. What did you have for breakfast? It was last night. I did not have a kebab for breakfast. Queen Lorene, Eurovision winner. Did you ever think you would be back here again? I get goosebumps. No way. Martin Ossadar, Executive Supervisor of the Eurovision Song Contest. Welcome to the Eurotrip. Thank you very much. Welcome back, I think it is, right? Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Eurotrip, the world's favourite Eurovision podcast with me, James. Me, Rob. And this week we're going to be chatting all about the Junior Eurovision Song Contest and we've got a new edition of Rewind as we go all the way back to 1991. Yeah, we're going back to the 90s on Rewind. It's very exciting and it is nice to be back on the Rewind train. Of course, it took a break. It pulled into the sidings for seven days last week as we looked ahead to the Junior Eurovision Song Contest and obviously brought you a load of other news on the podcast last week, which we will touch on in a bit. But yes, last week we were previewing the Junior Eurovision Song Contest. This week, We are reacting to the Junior Eurovision Song Contest. We will have a guest in Nice, in France, in his hotel lobby, who watched the show and watched France win their third Junior Eurovision in four years, James. Their island in the 90s at Adult Eurovision, but in Junior in the 2020s. It's not as catchy, but you know what I mean. (laughs) It's a remarkable record they're on now, though, isn't it? Like you say, three wins in four years. Uh, We had a reporter on the ground. We'll be joining him shortly uh, to get his view on proceedings at the weekend and to digest everything that happened in Nice. Uh, Like we said as well, though, we will be bringing back Rewind to look at 1991, which, Rob, you've done all the research this week, but from, from my view, seems to be one of the most chaotic editions of the contest there's ever been. 
If there is anything we learned from 2022, it is when Italy hosts the Eurovision Song Contest, it is chaotic. And that means, <laughs> that means there is lots to talk about on Rewind this week, because of course we are going back to their previous hosting in 91, and of course they did host it in the 60s as well. But yeah, loads to talk about. Oh, and there might be a little bit of UK rumour news to bring you to. So we've got all that and more still to come. You're listening on Acast, on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. This is the Eurotrip. Yes, so as we say, plenty to come here on the episode this week. Uh, Loads to bring you, loads of news and, of course, rewind. Uh, But Rob, I feel like... uh, feel like all my dates have got mixed up and was it last week you were you were under I was gonna say under the weather I don't know if you can say under the weather for for falling down the stairs was that just last week yeah so for anyone that listened to the podcast last week I fell down the stairs like a nana (laughs) so this was last Monday I fell down the stairs so at the time you listened to this over a week ago and I was taking the supermarket shopping crates back down to the delivery man and I missed the top step and my body went tumbling down the stairs and, <laughs> uh, and my feet went into the wall at the bottom of the stairs. And James, I thought that you were just going to go straight into it at the start of the podcast this week and just say that you're sorry and you'd like to offer me an apology because last week you said you had very little sympathy for me whatsoever. Uh, yes, oh, sorry, I was yawning there, sorry. Um, <laughs> oh, boring, boring you, am I? My injury is boring you now as well. Do you know what? Was I, I wasn't full of sympathy, you're right. But uh, yeah, maybe I should be. Things have developed since we last spoke, I think. Things have developed. I have been to what used to be called minor injuries here in the UK, but is now called an urgent treatment centre. Oh, is it? Which makes it makes it sound more dramatic. Um, anyway, um, it turns out I have indeed fractured my big toe on my left foot, and I am six foot four, and I have size twelve feet, so it is quite a big, big toe. <laughs> no wonder it wasn't called minor incidents then, with a big toe that big. So you've got to wear minor one of those... injuries. Minor injuries. <laughs> you've got to wear one of those big moon boot things now as well, haven't you? I've got it on now. Do you want to see it? No, no thanks. No thanks. Here no. it comes. Can you do this? No way. Look at the state of that. Do you wear it to bed? I don't wear it to bed, no. Although it's a, it is a bit grim because you're supposed to wear it inside and outside. So I've brought in most of the street on this boot <laughs> over the last few days. I wouldn't like to do one of those infrared things on our carpet. <laughs> Looks like a nightclub floor up here. <laughs> but generally, you're feeling good. Uh, feeling fine. It's not going to impede my ability to uh, do this podcast this week, I would say. But otherwise, yeah, feeling all right. Yes, that sound means it is time for all the latest Eurovision news uh, as both of us sit here at the news desk. Is it still the news desk? I've said that out loud. Did we rename the news desk something else? I think we called it the news centre some weeks, mm. which makes it makes it sound like a bigger operation. Mm. Also, how long is the desk? Because me and you are not together. Mm. You are, I don't know how many miles it is between London and Newcastle. I'm going to say 400, which might be far. Um, it's a long desk. If if both me and you were sat at the same one, mm, it is. Uh, maybe we we just have to call it the virtual news desk. I guess that's what they would call it nowadays, wouldn't they? From the virtual news centre. Yeah. Here's your latest Eurovision news, read by James Rowe and Rob Lilly. 
Is it virtual Eurovision news or is it actual Eurovision news? <laughs> yes, it's definitely real Eurovision news. And can I start with uh, one of the big stories, which came from us actually on last week's episode when we spoke to Thea and Selina, of course, the duo who represented Austria uh, at Eurovision earlier this year in Liverpool because they announced to us exclusively that they are going their separate ways, Rob. I love it when we make the headlines. It's very exciting here on the podcast. <laughs> so yeah, this was, as you said, your chat with them on last week's podcast. And the reaction has been pretty massive. You popped a video of the chat on TikTok as well, which you said has very quickly become our like third most viewed video ever. I mean, it's getting nowhere near Lorene touching you on the head. And I don't think anything yeah. ever will. <laughs> if you haven't been on our TikTok for a while, our most viewed video is James just being touched by Lorene, um, <laughs> which I don't think you've washed since, have you? <laughs> no, no, I've not washed the jumper either. That was wearing it. <laughs> Worth a look at YouTube podcast on TikTok, by the way. Anyway, loads of reaction across socials to this. Uh, Tanya Louise got in touch. She said, reacting to the news, Everybody try not to be sad. They gave us an absolutely phenomenal year. They're still friends. They will still annoy us together, of course. They have absolutely incredible careers ahead of them both. So grateful for them. Hear, hear. Yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it is worth saying as well, they're not going to go their separate ways forever. Uh, Selena said that she wants to do Eurovision again and would be up for Tear writing the song for her. So it might not be the end of them working together, which is very, very exciting. And of course, another headline that came from last week's podcast, we brought you even more news about a national final that is happening next week. ESCZ mm. in Prague. It's happening on Monday next week. Uh, we'll be talking about what happened, of course, on the podcast next week. But uh, yeah, if you want all the goss and more details about what you can expect from the show, EuroTripPodcast.com. Go and read that and all of our other exclusive stories. But James, the big story, at least as far as the UK is concerned, which seems to be doing the rounds, is a story that I'm pretty sure I'm right in saying has been a story every year for the last, what, three years? Yeah, it, it, it seems to bubble up every now and again, doesn't it? And it has done, I think it was late Sunday night, perhaps. Uh, the rumour is that the UK, the BBC, have been chatting to Ollie Alexander uh, from years and years but as you say, this seems to have been cropping up for years and years. It's not as if they, it's not that was a lame joke. Apology. Oh, no. uh, but it's not as if this is new news. It does come up regularly now and again. So I, personally, I don't know if there's much, if anything, to read into this rumor. Yeah, it doesn't mean it's not true. You know, it might mm. be, it might be true. But as you know, you've just said it, it, it's been rumored for I think 2022, 2023. And, uh, and now here we are again, 2024. I'm going to be cynical about this and have the, and I don't know if if the Sun, because I think it was the Sun newspaper in the UK that released this first. I don't know if they're clever enough to have done this, but are they capitalising on the fact that more people are Googling the phrase Eurovision? Because, of course, it has just been junior Eurovision and they're thinking that they might get some more clicks by doing this. My cynical, yeah. my cynical view on things. Yeah, potentially. Yeah, as we said before, as well. You know, Ollie Alexander's been linked to it for a few years, as far as I'm aware, at least. Uh, he was down to the final two for 2022, and the uh, the BBC chose Sam Ryder. And you know, uh, we read over the summer, didn't we, or at the, at the beginning of autumn, that uh, the BBC seemed to suggest they've already made their mind up for, for for who the artist is going to be next year. And that article you mentioned uh, seemed to suggest that they haven't made their mind up yet. So there's 
there's a few uh, there's a few differing uh, thoughts of opinion there, isn't there? Yes. I mean, we will have to wait and see, won't we? Equally, um, this is a plea from us. Ollie Alexander, if it is you and you are listening, come and tell us about <laughs> it on the podcast. Why not? And naturally, we want to hear from you as well. If you've got any thoughts on this potential artist for 2024, uh, do get in touch with us. Uh, you can get us online at Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter, Instagram and TikTok. Hello at EurotripPodcast.com on the email as well. Now then, we did mention it. Junior Eurovision has just taken place in Nice, in France. And James, for the third year in four years... France have won the Junior Eurovision Song Contest. You did a tweet, actually, of uh, France's recent record at the Junior Eurovision Song Contest. Am I right in thinking they've not been outside the top five since they returned to the contest? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, second, fifth, first, third, first and first. First and first? Uh, since 2018, they come back. They also took part back in 2004 and finished sixth. So they've never actually finished lower than six, which is just an astonishing record, isn't it? Can you do France's positions at the last five Junior Eurovision Song Contests in French? Uh, oh, I need to see them again. Probably. I hope so. Uh, oh, no, I don't know. How do you say th? Or just just, just, just er. don't give me the th. Just give me the, the number of their position. Uh, all of them is uh, six, deux, cinq, un, trois, un, un. Uh, trois, un, un to you too, sir. <laughs> Uh, the Eurotrip podcast, always, always educational. <laughs> anyway, of course, we mentioned it there. France won the contest in Nice. Will they host again in 2024? That is yet to be determined. But we had a reporter out there on the French Riviera for the contest this year. He is Adrian Bradley, long-time listener to the Eurotrip podcast, long-time friend to us here on the pod. He was in the press centre in Liverpool as well. We enjoyed catching up with him there. But he was in Nice for us. He watched the show and we caught up with him for today's episode and he joined us from his hotel lobby just before catching his plane and our first question was how he'd enjoyed his stay in the south of France. Well this was my first junior Eurovision in person actually and it was great. It was really impressive. I, I'll i be honest I was a little bit nervous before going that oh were some of the songs going to be awful? Was it going to be tweet? And it, I was so impressed with all of the talent that was on stage. Most of those songs, had they been in a, a normal Eurovision, would have been impressive and done incredibly well. Their voices were amazing. Their confidence in front of thousands of people were incredible. And the top four, top five acts were all really, really good. You could make an argument for any of them of winning. And a very well-deserving winner happened in the end. So... Zoe for France with her song Coeur, I'm going to pronounce that completely wrong. It means, it means heart. Um, a really polished performance, an incredible voice, quite a simple staging, but artistic and very well done. And it went down hugely well in the arena, as you can imagine, in France. But I could tell pretty much as soon as I heard it, I went, that's the winner. And it, and it turns out it was. And after the show, I managed to catch up with some of the fans leaving the arena. So here's what they told me. Flew from Brittany and we are very happy, very happy. I cried. <laughs> <laughs> it's our third win in four years, so it's very, very exciting for us. Hi. Hi. Did you enjoy the show tonight? It yeah. was lovely. It was <clears throat> lovely. Really lovely. Where are you guys from? We are, we are from, from France Greece. and Armenia. Oh, France and outside. Two big, two big yeah. results yeah. tonight. Yeah. Hello. 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 Who, who is your favourite tonight? 
Zoe. Zoe in the French. Zoe and the Armenian. Zoe and the young girls. Young girls. Young girls, Armenia, yeah. Where are you guys from? Spain. From Spain. Did you enjoy it tonight? Very much indeed. We had a great fun and we thought we might have won, but yeah. in the end, you know, it's okay. France did very well. Are you guys from the UK? Did you enjoy the show tonight? Yes, exactly. Who were your favourites? I love Spain. <laughs> I love France and the UK. Yeah. But yeah. yeah and so you were happy with the result? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They did well. yeah good luck to so Adrian give us a, an idea about what it was like to be there were you were you where were you watching first of all that's the most important question were you in the press center were you in amongst the other fans in the arena what was the atmosphere like I was in the arena I actually ended up in the standing area of the arena which wasn't my original plan but that's where I, <laughs> that's where I ended up one of the great things about junior eurovision and i will actually recommend this to anyone who's kind of thought about going and maybe wants to think about it next year it was 20 euros a ticket now we've all had all the talk about adult eurovision and the cost of that and we've got that coming up at the moment 20 euros for this is a brilliant price and especially if you do want to take your family you know the two or three people 20 euros each it's amazing you get about two and a half hours of entertainment it goes really quickly. They get into the songs very quickly. There's a lot less of the fluff that you get at um, Adult Eurovision because there's, there's just 16 songs. I've got to get it done in about two hours. And it's, it's a great way to see Eurovision. You see all of the staging. You see all of the lights. The atmosphere was great. But like Eurovision, there was also a jury final. I watched that one from a press centre so I could see what it looked like on TV. It is, in a lot of ways, like a Eurovision in miniature. So it's a smaller arena. You've got a press centre, but a smaller operation. There's more community press there, slightly fewer national press, although there were quite a few from France TV. And it's right attached to the arena. It's very easy to get between. The press conferences all happen in the press centre, right in front of you. And it's it's a really fun atmosphere. And I would definitely recommend it. So if, if it's something that people haven't gone to before especially if it can be in the south of France again in November. It's lovely. We're going to talk about the UK to wrap up in just a second. But Adrian, you very kindly asked a question on our behalf in the press conference on Sunday after the big show. So here's what you asked. And here's the answer from uh, from Zoe, of course, our junior Eurovision winner. Adrian Bradley from the Eurotrip podcast. It was really nice to see all the contestants together on stage. Have you become a really close friends? And was it nice to perform with a bunch of other contestants, people your age. So Zoe said that she spent a lot of time with all the contestants, they party, and uh, they are really close, and she will keep contact, keep in touch with some of the contestants. Well, let's chat about the UK then. We were uh, lucky enough a few weeks ago to, to speak to the girls from Stand Unique, joined by Lee Smithers, who's the head of delegation. And as you mentioned before, is the same guy who works on the adult contest. So he's got a lot of experience working across the two. How pleased do you think the UK and the BBC generally will be with that result they got at the weekend? Fifth place last year, fourth place this year. It's a good beginning of a, of a run, isn't it, in junior? Yeah, I think so. And I think what was also noticeable, if you look at the scores, they came fourth, but it did seem like the top four were just that little bit ahead of the pack and they weren't an awful long way behind France. And that was really nice to see that they did they, they impressed. And what they managed to do was impress the juries. And that 
that I think will they will take a lot of heart from because sometimes the criticism of uh, the UK at adult Eurovision is that they can't decide whether they're going for a jury strategy or a public strategy and they end up going for neither. I think with this one, they really managed to connect with a lot of juries. We got a, we got a good number of 12 points, an awful lot of 10 points. I remember as the jury votes were coming in, I was thinking for a short moment, it was like, oh, could we? And that was really nice to see. The girls, like you spoke to the girls, and I, I did manage to briefly meet them during the time. They're incredibly confident. They're incredibly self-assured. But what I really liked about the approach that the UK took was to work with the girls on what they wanted to do rather than just impose an idea and have them perform it. And actually, you could tell with perhaps some of the acts were made to do something like that that they didn't feel comfortable with, whereas Stand Unique absolutely got to own it. They, they talked about how they were dressed, and how they were styled, and they each got to present their own mood boards, what they liked. And then the stylist could go away and take those mood boards and bring it together with Dan Shipson, who was the designer, his concept, and let them wear something they're comfortable in, which is so important when you're performing on stage. You don't want to suddenly feel like, I don't like this, but still worked as a group. And that was so nice to see. But also the staging was really impressive. We all hope that the BBC takes some of that on to uh, to Malmo in 2024 for the adult contest. But you've already alluded to it. For anyone listening to this who might not have been to a junior Eurovision in the past, to finish, would you recommend it if, if anyone was listening to this and considering making a trip maybe to France for the contest next year? Oh, 100%. I think you'll have a lot of fun. It's all over by about um, 7.30 in the evening as well. So it's not like you'll have a very late night either. If you want to dip your toe into the water of a big Eurovision event, if you're not quite ready for that full experience and cost of adult Eurovision, definitely give this a go. I think you'll have a great time. Oh, Adrian, thanks so much for that. Hopefully you've inspired a lot of people to, yeah, as you say, tentatively dip their toe in the water for, for wherever the contest, the junior contest will be next year. And uh, by the sounds of things, you had a lot of fun as well. The world's favourite Eurovision podcast. When you aren't listening, find us on social media. at Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. So this is the Eurotrip Podcast, your favourite Eurovision podcast. The world's favourite Eurovision podcast, actually. Not just yours, listening. The world's. And if you are enjoying what you're hearing, then please do leave us a rating and a review wherever you're listening. Rate us five star if you really, really want to. That would be lovely. Leave us a little message. We'd love that. And, James, I think Spotify Wrapped is actually on the way in the next few days at the time at which we're recording this. So hopefully we appear in a good few of yours listening at home. Yeah, always look forward to that to see if anybody, if we appear in like the top, is it the five? I'm not on Spotify, like the top five of uh, of your podcasts of the year. And also it's worth saying as well, uh, we're also on Buy Me A Coffee. So if you love what we do and you want to be able to support us, uh, then you can do. There's no obligation, of course, but if you'd like to, you can head to buymeacoffee.com forward slash Eurotrip podcast. 
and me and James would be very, very grateful. And if we see you in Malmo, we'll give you a big hug. <laughs> yes, indeed. Or a high five <laughs> if you are that way inclined. <laughs> whatever you want, basically. Well, not whatever you want, but you know what I mean. Any, anything, anything PG. <laughs> anyway, Rob, would you would you like to say the immortal words? Yes, indeed. Maybe you've been enjoying the series so much you feel inclined to donate a couple of pounds to our buy me a coffee. Because James, it's time to rewind. Today then, we are heading back to the 1990s for the first time in this series. It's arguably the most eventful contest of the decade. So, what was happening in the world when Eurovision headed to Rome in 1991? Well, the year would arguably be the most significant in global politics since the Second World War. I'm about to read you some of the things that happened in 1991. This is only a few of the things that happened in 1991. Firstly, the Gulf War continued to rage in the Middle East as Iraqi troops continued to occupy Kuwait, something which would have major repercussions for the song contest held thousands of miles away, as we'll hear shortly. In March, voters in Latvia and Estonia voted overwhelmingly for independence, the first Baltic nations to do so, in a year which would, of course, end with the dissolution of the Soviet Union. And Georgian independence would follow in April. Germany gained full independence after the UK, France and the then Soviet Union restored full rights to the German parliament. I couldn't believe that only happened in 1991. Again, the Eurotrip, very educational. And then just two weeks after the contest was held, the breakup of Yugoslavia would begin, with Croatia declaring independence. And Zagreb, of course, had hosted the previous contest in 1990. Blimey. Yeah. So let's start there then with Toto Cotunio winning the contest with Insieme 1992, a song written about the greater integration for European nations. A shame Europe itself failed to live up to the positive message of the song. 1991 would be only the second time Italy would host the contest, the first being in 1965 in Naples. Shortly after Toto's win, Italian broadcaster Rai announced the coastal city of San Remo would host the following year, with organisers planning to pay tribute to the Italian music festival that had inspired the creation of Eurovision almost four decades earlier. But events in the Middle East would soon cause problems for the broadcaster. These are the latest pictures of the invasion to reach the West. Shot early on the morning of August the 2nd, the battle around the Emir's palace is clearly audible. So on the 2nd of August 1990, so around three months after Italy's win at Eurovision, Iraq invaded its Middle East neighbour Kuwait and the First Gulf War began. Now, with many European expats working in the country, this led to much concern about security in Europe as well. Now, the war continued, and in late 1990, discussions began between the EBU and RAI about finding a new venue for the contest to be held the following year. Well, here's the Eurovision historian Gordon Roxburgh with more. There were some concerns from some of the delegations, and... And decided in uh, the latest January 1991 to, 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 to Rome, which would be the record most secure, most secure venue in Sinisita, or Sinisita, did I how you pronounce it? Uh, basically, Rome's Hollywood center, film center, producing films, and that's where they held the contest ultimately. 
So Gordon mentioned uh, a decision being made in January. Well, it wasn't until the 18th of February in 91 that Rome was confirmed as the new host venue. Uh, Rob, I think you've done the maths here, which is great. Thanks for that. But that was just 76 days before the final was due to be held, which is just astonishing by today's standards. Isn't it? Because, you know, we get ourselves in a tiz when we don't find out about participation lists that are potentially being released about six months before the grand final. <laughs> Back in 1991, 76 days between them confirming the, the location of the contest and it actually taking place. It's in, incredible. Yeah, astonishing, really. Uh, the running order draw for the contest took place that very same day, with delegations satisfied safety concerns had been listened to. Ultimately, Yugoslavia, the previous year's host, would sing first, while the hosts, Italy, would close the show. What followed was, of course, chaos. <laughs> but according to Gordon, uh, that would have been the case wherever the contest had been. I mean, it was the second time that, that Roy admittedly hosted the contest, and previously it was in 1965 in Naples. And that was disorganised, according to, to, to be the female one, since they never wanted to see such a symbolic contest again. And here we go in 1991, and as you say, it was a bit chaotic. I think that is just the Italian way. I don't think it, I think if the Italians had two or three years of the plan for a contest, it would still have been the same. Well, given what we saw in Turin in 2022, there is a bit of a theme here. Anyway, more on that chaos in a little while. But first, let's hear more about who was taking part in 1991. Well, Malta returned to Eurovision for the first time since 1975. Now, they were allowed to compete after the Netherlands withdrew. Now, back then, the EBU had limited the contest to just 22 competing countries, and Malta were the first in the queue once a slot became available. Now, that 22-entry rule didn't actually last very long because the Netherlands wanted to come back again in 1992, and rather than kick out another country, the EBU just expanded the list, and then a record 23 countries took part in the final. So it wasn't a, wasn't a hard and fast rule, just depended who you were by the sounds of it. And then we've seen it grow ever since, 24, 25, 26, 27, of course, in 2015. I do wonder if that will grow any further. Uh, now then, uh, to the UK, and they were represented by someone who might be more familiar to Soap fans than Eurovision followers. So singer and actress Samantha Janus would represent the UK with her song A Message to Your Heart, and she would later make her name by playing Ronnie Mitchell in, you guessed it, EastEnders. Now you say Janus, I say Janus, I would say. Well... Let's put that to a poll. <laughs> do, do you say Janice? Do you say Janice? Anyway, we've got we've got plenty to get through, so maybe maybe <laughs> let's not hang around on that point. Now, after the contest, Samantha would call her decision to represent the United Kingdom in 1991 crazy and said, I was a bit traumatised for a while. But she almost didn't get the ticket to represent the UK in the first place. Now, she won a song for Europe, the UK's national final that year, by just 13,000 votes, which was the narrowest margin of victory since the public vote had been introduced. Now, James, alongside Samantha that night, on backing vocals, was Nikki Belcher. And she's been talking to me about her experience. We all kind of looked at each other as if to go, is this, is this actually happening? 
is this is this actually happening and then you go oh oh yes we've won we've won and it was great and you run on stage and I was so I was so ecstatic that we won and the fact that we were going to be part of the Eurovision and we were going to Rome and um I knew me mum and dad and my family were watching so of course I don't think I don't know if I had a mobile phone at that time to be perfectly honest with you so there was no contacting them and seeing them until I got home and then when I got home and walked through the door of course they were just there going yeah <laughs> standing up and cheering and I was going oh, no I can't believe it <laughs> it was great chatting to Nikki we'll hear more from her a little bit later on now, we'll pick out a few more of the songs in a moment, but the first performance of the night came from a surprising figure, an American singer who'd recently found fame in that year's host nation. everybody, this is Sarah Carlson, and I guess I'm here because I participated in part of the Eurovision Song Contest in 1991 with the song Celebration. I wasn't a participant, let me clarify that. I wasn't a participant, but I opened the show. Well, James, you've heard that for the first time. As you have heard there, all the way from New York, I've managed to catch up with Sarah Carlson, and I asked her more about her experience at the contest. This director came along, Antonello Falqui from Italy, and he had this audition in New York City. And at the time I was working with a manager and she sent me and she said, I think this could be interesting. I, I, I really, to be honest with you, didn't even know what it was or I, I didn't know anything about it. And uh, so long story short is I did end up going to Italy. I lived there for six months at the beginning. And then over the next decade, I went back and forth and back and forth and back and forth for all kinds of projects. People from the Rye Corporation, the television channel, approached my management at the time and they said, you know, we'd like to have Sarah do the Eurovision and we'd also like her to write it. We kind of knew that this European sort of union thing was coming up, you know, the 1992 thing. And then eventually, you know, the currency change. You know, when I was over there in Italy, it was still Lira and now it's completely changed. So things were opening up and we wanted to have something that you know, basically was saying to everybody, like, we're all different, but let's everybody, you know, like, let's get along. Like, can't everybody get along and just love each other? And I do remember running barefoot. You know, there's a lot of the choreography where I'm barefoot in the ancient Roman ruins of Tivoli, feeling like I was home. I was, uh, I watched the show from my apartment in Milano. This is when I was living in Milano. And so I watched it with a couple friends and um, I didn't actually go to the theater that time, but we, we watched it from our house. I do feel honored to be, have, have been chosen to be a part of it. So yeah, Sarah Carlson, brilliant to get the opportunity to chat to her. She was an American singer and actress. She was trying to make her way in the world in the late 80s and early 90s. As you heard there, she got an opportunity through her agent to go to Italy to star in what was then one of Italy's biggest TV shows. 
and then she ended up making her way onto the Eurovision stage, or not quite onto the Eurovision stage, as she said. She watched the contest at home in Milan, but she had the opportunity to write the song that would go on to to open the contest, and uh, yeah, a crazy old time. Uh, James, before me and Sarah said goodbye, and I spoke to her for a long time, and it was a really, really enjoyable chat, but before we said goodbye, I did just want to play you this moment, actually. It's been lovely to speak to you, and I wish you all the luck with your podcast. I'm going to tune in, check you out. Oh, that's lovely. She's going to tune in and check us out. Lovely. Yeah. What a great booking she is. Really, really good. It's one of those when you fire off an email and you don't really expect to reply. So I think that is testament to what a wonderful woman Sarah is. So Sarah, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. I'm saying all this, of course, because presumably you are now listening to the show. <laughs> and uh, she did say as well, actually, James, I didn't didn't catch this on the, on the interview itself. We were chatting before. And uh, she said that before agreeing to come on the podcast, she thought she would listen to a, a previous um, edition mm. of, of the Euro trip. And uh, she said that your anecdote about Salvador Dali <laughs> and, and Eurovision 1969 was fascinating. Oh, very good. We are doing, we are doing good with Rewind and this year, I'd say. I think so. But uh, yeah, Sarah, thank you for joining us. Indeed, yes. I don't know how we top that, but we do. We, we, we have to move on to uh, the songs. And we'll start uh, today with song number four. That year saw Greece singing in fourth position with Sevilla Vossu singing Enixi. Or was going to plan until this memorable moment. We've talked about this before on the podcast, haven't we? I'm sure it's, we've played this clip once before. And it's brought back to memories, yeah. I can't remember why we've spoken about it on the podcast before, but we definitely spoke about it last year. So what you've just heard was obviously the saxophonist's attempt at hitting the right notes. Didn't go exactly as he and Sophia Vossu singing for Greece would have wanted. I've been reading up on this and the orchestra from 1991. And according to an Italian contributor on Reddit, a different Greek conductor called Harris Andradis has stated in several interviews that the original saxophone player who handled the song fine in rehearsals, apparently, did all the rehearsals for the contest. He was let go just before the show because he asked for more money. And the replacement saxophonist had never even rehearsed the song prior to the live broadcast. That is just astonishing. And obviously we wouldn't get that nowadays because even if you do play the instruments on stage, it's all on a backing track anyway. So the joys of of Eurovision's gone by. I mean, if that isn't another reason to bring back the orchestra at Eurovision. So we end up with hilarious instances like this. I mean, you wouldn't be happy if it happened to your own country, obviously. But I mean, we can now look back on Greece in 1991 with with very fond memories. (laughs) It's memorable, but perhaps not for all the right reasons. Now then, on to songs eight and nine in the running order. These were the ones that would ultimately be battling for the win. 
First up then, in eighth spot was Carola with her anthemic Fongard Avon Stormwind, a song that literally translates as Captured by a Whirlwind. Uh, this was her second appearance at the contest, having finished third at the event in 1983. Now, it goes without saying that we'll chat more about Tarola later on, but it is worth noting that next in the long line of technical problems to hit the live broadcast, the PA system went down in the arena during Sweden's performance. This is all in Chris West's brilliant book. That I'll put a link to it on our post on Buy Me A Coffee. Uh, and he said that the PA system going down in the arena during Sweden's performance meant that neither Carola or the audience in the studio could hear any of the song. So given that she went on to do what she went on to do, which of course we'll get to, very impressive given that she couldn't actually hear herself. Oh dear, the chaos, eh? It, it, it rumbles on. <laughs> uh, immediately after Carola then uh, came Amina for France. Hello. Now, France would eventually finish in second, but only after an incredibly dramatic voting sequence, which we'll hear in a moment, uh, but not before song number 20 uh, from the United Kingdom. Here's backing singer Nikki Belcher again. First, here are her memories of rehearsing earlier in the We were week. in a gorgeous hotel and we used to rehearse and you had to pick, you know, slot in a time. And we rehearsed in, it was like a long bar or like a, like a lounge area and they cleared the tables and that out of the way and you know and we had a recording a backing track recording of it that we could rehearse to so we were kind of it was the bizarrest thing we were in a bar but at the time I kind of went oh okay because people were all slotting their rehearsal times into going into that bar and believe me when you got to the end of that rehearsal time they were walking through the door to make sure that it was their time now there was no running over I suppose it was organised because you were booking your slot, but you're booking your slot to stand in a bar on a carpet <laughs> to have a rehearse. That is... I just said there, didn't I, about the chaos rumbling on. This is just remarkable, rehearsing in a bar. Uh, well, let's fast forward to the Saturday night then. Uh, here are Nikki's memories of the live performance itself and then how she remembers events backstage as the votes did, or in the UK's case, uh, didn't come in. The set of monitors we had um, to hear what we were doing through was different to the set of monitors that Sam had because, of course, we were just slightly on us. We were we were on the side, um, so she had a different set of monitors to what we had. So we could hear what Sam was doing, and forgive me, Sam, I'm sure you will. Um, she was just slightly under on some of the notes, which was just kind of like a bit sharp or whatever, and I kind of went, "Oh, okay." okay you know and so I could hear that it wasn't as strong as Sam has been and I think that was number one monitors but number two massive amount of nerves because you've done the rehearsal then that's it you get ready you're sitting there you're sitting there you're sitting there you're sitting there you're waiting uh you can't hear anything you can only see it you can't you, you know and you can see them panning into the audience how the audience reacts and all of that so I can, I can only imagine, I know that I was literally, forgive the language, crapping myself when I walked on that stage. 
absolutely nervous as anything. So if I was feeling like that, Lord knows how she felt. perfectly honest with you I didn't think we were going to win I wasn't very optimistic about it and as the results started to come in I <laughs> we were sat at the table and I said so can we open the champagne then and the creative team said no 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 let's wait let's let's get the results in let's start getting the result not start getting the results and we were already into it and I'm going no I don't see why we can't open the champagne Oh, we should open the champagne. Come on, thinking, let's let you know the the results aren't going well. Let's try and keep Sam boosted, you know, by going, yeah, it doesn't matter. Come on, let's have a glass of champagne and that whole malarkey. And at one point, it went United Kingdom, one point. And you know how, if you get 10 points or 12 points, everyone rejoices. And in that room, you get 10 points, and that whole country would be going, wow. So we got one point, and I stood on my chair. And I started going, yes, because <laughs> we got one point. And I went, I'm sorry, we got a point. <laughs> Why can't we re rejoice that? And then the champagne opened. I think they went, all right, yeah, okay. Talking of the voting then, uh, it will forever be remembered for the way it was navigated <laughs> by hosts Toto, who of course won the year before, uh, and Julia, who had won back in the 60s. Correct. Grace, douze points. No, 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 no. No, pardon. Non era la Grecia, la Svezia. La Suède, Sweden. Ah, la, la, si, Sweden. Allora, la Svezia, si, la Suède, douze points. Sweden, oui. Sweden, ten. Dodici punti, dodici punti alla Svezia. Israel, eight points. Israel, seven points. Israel, oui? seven Israel, Eight point. Uh, eight eight. Point. eight. eight point. Just the haphazard, almost horizontal level of relaxation way in which the, the voting continued in uh, in ninety one was tremendous. Anyway, eventually we managed to get through it all. And the voting, as we've already mentioned reached this thrilling climax. Here's how it was broadcast on the BBC with Terry Wogan that evening. Iceland, seven points. We're coming down to it now. Turkey, eight points. Eight points to Turkey. Eight points. Turkey, eight points. Italy are spreading eight, it around. Eight points to Turkey. Malta, points. Ten points to Malta. Malta, Malta ten points. Dieci punti per Malta e... France, two points. France, 12 points. It's a draw. France, 12 points. It's a draw. I have never seen that before in the Eurovision Song Contest. 146 points each. Between France and Sweden. So, yes, as you can hear there, there was much confusion about who would be named the winner. Now, according to the EBU rules, the contest must have a winner. So, as to avoid the situation we encountered on our last episode of Rewind, where we covered 1969, uh, with multiple countries winning the event. 
So the rules at the time stated that the song with the most set of 12 points would win. However, James, we have a problem here because in 1991, both France and Sweden had received exactly the same number of 12 points. So what then happened was we went back to how many 10 points each country had received. Uh, Sweden had scored five sets of 10 points, while France had only received two sets of 10, and therefore Sweden and Corolla were ultimately declared the winners. That is ultimate drama, isn't it? You you, you wonder what it would be like, like even more up to date now if, if it's such a situation and how they would build that into the TV broadcast because the drama of it, oh, it would be extraordinary. Split screen central, wouldn't it? Imagine <laughs> that split screen. But actually, talking of the the cameras and stuff like that, actually, I do have to mention this. And, and Gordon Roxburgh, the Eurovision historian, mentioned this when I chatted to him for this episode as well. If you go back and watch the contest from 1991, yes, there is a lot of chaos. But also, they barely put the scoreboard on the screen. So you spend the entire voting sequence not really knowing who is where, who has how many points or, or what's going on. You get fleeting glimpses of the scoreboard. Even as the last set of 12 points are being delivered, the scoreboard isn't on the screen. It is remarkable. Honestly. Uh, well, to wrap up that leaderboard then, if you didn't catch it in the TV broadcast at the time, 30-odd years on, let me let me wrap it up for you. Uh, behind Sweden, France came uh, Israel, uh, just seven points back in third, with Spain in fourth, Switzerland fifth, and on their return, as we mentioned earlier, Malta picking up sixth place. Yeah, they did very, very well. Uh, Samantha Janus. Janus, as James Janus. is calling her, because he doesn't know how to say her name properly. Uh, her and Nikki Belcher and uh, the rest of the UK team, they ultimately finished in joint 10th position, which I know was disappointing at the time, but we would we would love a 10th place. If you go, if you said now the UK will have a 10th place in 2024, we'd knit your hand off, I reckon. Anyway, so here she is then. To finish, rewind 1991, it's Corolla. I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Like what you're hearing? Make sure to leave us a review and a rating whenever you're listening. What a fun rewind that was. Great fun, great stories, great guests. Very well done, Rob. Thank you very much. And at the end of our chat, uh, Nikki 
Belsha, the the backing singer that we heard from there, from the UK's entry in 91, she said, well, it's funny, actually, we're quite a Eurovision family. And I was like, oh, yeah, Mm. go on. She was like, well, my sister did Eurovision. I was like, what do you mean your sister did Eurovision? Anyway, James, it turns out that Nikki Belsha's sister is Lynn Paul, who, of course, was a member of the New Seekers, who represented the United Kingdom at the 1972 Eurovision Song Contest, when they came second with Beg, Borrow or Steal. So there you go. Small world. Wow. Is that song called Beg, Steal or Borrow, by the way, rather than Beg, Uh, Borrow Yeah. I mean, I don't really really mind what order you commit the crime in, but yes, I think you're right. (laughs) Well, I did not know that. That's, yeah, wow. Interesting. So there you have it. Here's a question. No, I've got to ask a question. Go, go, go. go. how, How many other siblings have done Eurovision, but not together? I'm going to leave that one with listening at home. How many other Eurovision siblings are there who never performed together? I like that. I was trying to give you an answer. Haven't got one off the top of my head. Mm. Like it very much. Like it very much. Um, mm. I, I'll keep Nikki's email then, shall I? In case, um, in case we do re one nineteen seventy two in the future, and she can give us give us her sister Lynn's number. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Now then, before we wrap up the episode, uh, let us do the one second song. Rob, you are choosing this week the song for me. Did you score any points last week? I didn't score any points last week because despite the fact that I was incredibly generous to you the week before, you weren't quite as forgiving the following week. So on last week's podcast. So yeah, the score currently is uh, you for me nil. Uh, you have an opportunity to go into a chunky old early lead. Uh, four points, of course, on offer this week for the name of the year, the name of the song. I've got myself lost, James. What are the other things? The artist... And I forgot what you said. The country you represented, I think. Yeah, that sounds about right. Anyway, for the first time this week, here is the first second of this week's One Second Song. Okay, okay, okay. Yep, yep, yep. I was really hoping, actually, because I thought you'd get it. And then when I got the first second out of the song this obviously i then thought that you might struggle but it doesn't seem like the expression on your face means that you are going to find this difficult but i mean for, for you and, and everyone at home and everyone listening wherever they are here is uh, here's the one second song one more time yeah no i'm i'm confident i know the song i i, I definitely know the title but truthfully artist country and yeah are unknown i must admit and i don't really? know why it's, yeah yeah i know and i'm finding that as remarkable as you are because it's fairly recent isn't it okay well let's let's let, let's get straight into it then let's not dither about if there's any chance that you might not remember any of this information so the song is called walk on water might be the 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 expression the yeah the, the expression your face isn't giving much away and it, honestly the the rest of it i'm gonna it's not. I'm toss. I'm to- tossing, to- toying between <laughs> Spain and Malta. <laughs> you want to be careful there. Go on. So yeah, it's one of the two. It it's not Spain, is it? I'm going to mm. say Malta. Twenty sixteen. Mm. That might be right, but I couldn't give you an artist. I I've got nothing for an artist. Just all a big old performance from you. That wasn't it. You saying you didn't didn't know the year or the country. Just all a big big performance. Wasn't it is that all right? I'd like. I'd, hopefully, it is all right. Is it? It was. Ira Losco with "Walk on Water" for Malta, 
at Eurovision 2016. There she is. Wonderful stuff. I'm quite pleased with that because I just ended up doubting myself because I recognised it so early on. Part of me thought, I can't possibly be right then. I can't possibly know what it is given recent performances over the last few years. Um, so yeah, I'm pleased with three points. I wouldn't have been able to tell you the artist, so forgive me. Which, which James, if anything, is surprising because Ira Lasko, of course, bought Malta their best ever result at the Eurovision Song Contest at Eurovision 2002, which was, of course, the very first rewind of the year. That we did on this series. Mm. Mm. Clearly, I'm not as big of an expert as I like to think I am. <laughs> There's a lot to remember. There's a lot to remember. Well, there we have it then. So James takes a 7-0 lead in the one-second song, but a long way to go. I'm fine. I'm relaxed. I'm calm about it. I'm pretty sure I've won the one-second song for the last two years. So uh, yeah, I'm just just taking things easy at the start of this series. Well, I will choose the song next week to allow you to close some points back. Do let us know as well. If you're playing along, you can play along every week so you can get even more points than, than we can. Uh, let us know how you're getting on on your points tally. Absolutely. So please do that. It's been a lovely old episode, hasn't it? We've had a nice trip down memory lane in 1991. Heard from some lovely guests. Thank you to all of those who joined us, especially Sarah Carlson and Nikki Belcher as well, and uh, the historian Gordon Ropsborough. And uh, James, I think Gordon's going to do you a turn for your rewind next week as well. Yes, two more episodes of Rewind coming up. Uh, I'm in charge of next week's, and I haven't got a lot of time between now and then. So (laughs) apologies in advance if it's not as in-depth as they have been previously. Yeah, you've um, you set yourself a high bar. Next week, what we might do is we might just play the audio from that year's Eurovision. <laughs> Allow it to tell its own story, yes. Uh, so, another Rewind next week. Uh, hopefully, it's a good one. Uh, but we'll be back with you uh, later in the week for a brand new episode. Either it's going to be another Rewind Revisited... Uh, when we bring you an episode from last series uh, to tide you over until next week. Or, depending on our busy schedules, we may bring you a special Melfest episode, given the the names for next year are out later in the week. I do enjoy the jeopardy of both me and you not knowing what is happening on our own podcast. So I don't know how Mm. the listeners keep up. (laughs) So yeah, either or. You're either going to get some Melfest news, or you're going to get a Rewind Revisited. One of the two. So... Cross your fingers and hope for the best. Cross your fingers, hope for the best and just keep an eye on your podcast feed and uh, something will be there later in the week. Yes, so until we are back with you at some point, either later in the week or next, who knows, we'll see. Uh, Don't forget, you can keep in touch with us online. We are at Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter, Instagram and TikTok. Hello at EurotripPodcast.com on the email and you can read all of our exclusive stories on EurotripPodcast.com as well. Make sure you subscribe, leave a review and rate us five stars. For me, James, it's goodbye. And for me, Rob, it's goodbye. Or indeed, as uh, Tuto would say, Wanna Sarah. Uh, no, oh, what happened there? Right. Me. <laughs> <laughs> you sound like you sound like you stood on a plug and were electrocuted at the same time. All would do an impression of a ninety-seven year old man. <laughs> oh dear. 
ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Una Chaplin, and I'm the host of a new podcast called Hollywood Exiles. It tells the story of how my grandfather, Charlie Chaplin, and many others were caught up in a campaign to root out communism in Hollywood. It's a story of glamour and scandal and political intrigue and a battle for the soul of a nation. Hollywood Exiles from CBC Podcasts and the BBC World Service. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs>